All right, all right, love those songs, love the, the, the theme that we're seeing because tonight's message, if you are in a valley, if you are on the plateau, what, wherever you are tonight, I think is going to um, hit you right where you're at. Because tonight, we're gonna look at a part of Romans chapter eight that is some of the greatest promises to the child of God in all of the Bible. And so I'm excited to get into Romans chapter eight with you tonight. But let me start with this. Um, one of, one of the, my children, he's right in the middle. He is a very observant child. And what I mean by that is like, if something in our house is lost, we can go to him and be like, hey, four days ago we last saw this. Do you know where it is? He's like, oh yeah, it's under the chair in the back corner of this room. And you're like, well, how do you know that? But he knows stuff because he's super observant. He's always watching. And we first saw this trait in him when, we, when he would, we would drive in the car. Like he's the only one watching where we're going. Like he knows how to get places in this town, okay? And he, right now he's only eight years old. But he knows where we're going and how to get there because our family, we typically go to the same places over and over. We have our routines. And so without fail, when we would get in the car um, and we would start going somewhere, this little guy, his name is Hank, was watching where we were going. He's in the, very, he's in the third row of our Suburban. He's packed in the back, right? But he's watching. And you can see his eyes, like he's, he's you know, looking and looking one side to the other. And he's just, he's looking for landmarks. Like he is making a mental map of the city. And so what we noticed was, although he knows where we're going, he, he lives with a pretty high level of quiet anxiety because he knows how to get places. And you would think, well, Andy, wouldn't that make him a little bit more easygoing? No, it does not. It ups the ante for him because we will say, hey, we're gonna go, we'll say for this instance, we're gonna go to Barnes & Noble. It's the really nice library here in Oklahoma City. And so we take our kids there because there's toys and books that they don't have at the library. So we go to the really nice library called Barnes & Noble. And so he's like, great, we're gonna go. And so he's in the back of the car and we, we pull out of our house and we start going. But little does he know that we're gonna make a couple stops before we get there. We don't tell our kids all these things because you know, we just say, get in the car, go, we're, gonna, we're going. But Hank, about three minutes into the trip, he's watching, and he's watching, and he's watching. And before you know it, his head is going back and forth super fast, because he's like, this is not the right way. This, we are going the wrong way. This is not how you get to Barnes & Noble. Like, you can see it. I'm watching in the rearview mirror, his little head going back and forth, like, this is not, nope, this, nope, 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 oh, oh, no. And, there, and you can see it, and all of a sudden, he just stops. Because, and, and literally, I'm not being hyperbolic here, you can see the anxiety just drench him. Because he thinks, this is where we're going, I'm watching and observing right now, and that is not where we're going. And so something is not connecting for him. And so inevitably, what we would see, because he's our politest child, in the back, we'd see this little hand go up from the third row. Knew he was coming every time. Yes, Hank, what do you want, bud? Dad, this isn't the way to, to Barnes and Noble. And I'm like, I know, bud, but that's where we're going. Don't worry, we're going a different way. And you can see, like, he's like, mm, no, this is not the way. You know, like, it, it's that ultimate back driver, that backseat driver. But he's at that point, you know, like six or seven or eight years old. I'm like, dude, you, you have no idea. Okay, I, we have GPS up here. I got my phone. Like, we, we've been there 10 bazillion times. 
it's okay. But until we arrive, and we're going to stop here and stop here, but until you arrive, do you see him go, oh, okay, okay, yep, yep, we're here, it worked out, it's all good. The reason I share that story is because I do think that that is a very accurate picture of what it's like to be a young adult. Because you are watching, and you're in the third row, and you're watching life go by, and you're like, and you're watching, you're observing, you're like, okay, that happened, and then that happened, and, and then that happened to them, and then that happened to them, and, and all of a sudden you're like, oh no. Because you have an idea of where you want to be, and where you want to go. But as you watch your, your life get going, you're like, oh no. And some of you are like, I, I, I need to raise my hand and let someone know that this is not right. Right? You guys know this feeling. Like it's, it's, it's this anxiety that just kind of low level lives with us, but really actually it's a very high level that we just hide as a low level. And we're always asking like, but what, what if this doesn't go right? What if that doesn't happen for me? What if, what if I miss the boat here? What, what, what? And all of a sudden you find yourself in the third row wanting to raise your hand and scream because something doesn't seem to be as it should. We're all Hank. We all go through those moments. We have this feeling that I've got to go make this happen because when that anxiety comes, what naturally flows out of us is I've got to do it because no one else is going to do it for me. I'm the only one that can make this happen because I'm the only one that knows what I want. And so I've got to go manipulate the situations. I've got to orchestrate the circumstances. I've got to do it because if I don't do it, no one's going to do it because I'm alone in this. And you, you could put in whatever you want. There. You could put in a career. You could put in a relationship. You could, you could put in a, a salary. You could put in a, a job title. You could put a million different things in that. But when our anxiety starts to take over and we start internally having the shakes and we can't sleep and we start to look at everything like, oh no, oh no, I've missed it. My opportunity has just driven right on by we start grinding and we start manipulating our life because we gotta make it happen. You know, like one, one of my favorite lines that you see on, sometimes on social media is like rise and grind. And you see like a cup of coffee and you're like, yeah, let's rise and grind. Let's do this. Let's, it's all about the hustle. Let's, do, let's, let's get out there and make it happen, right? Like that's kind of our, our mentality. That's kind of the world we, that we see in front of us. But as much as it's kind of a tagline, it's a very real, very real anxiety that we live with. Of what, what about me? What's gonna happen? Because it's, it's this kind of anxiety, living with this anxiety is producing in us something that I don't believe Jesus came to give. In John 10, 10, he says, I have come to give you life and life to the full. And I really highly doubt that what Jesus meant by life to the full is a life that is characterized by anxiety and worry and rising and grinding through the day to make sure that you're okay. Because ultimately we feel when that happens that we're alone. And so tonight we're gonna talk about how we can live anxiety-free because of the wonderful promises of Romans 8. And the wonderful and the greatest promise that we're gonna see overarching, the big umbrella of tonight is you are not alone. You are not alone. You may wake up and feel like you're alone. You may wake up and feel like you're, it's out of control and you are the only one by yourself that cares about this and that can do anything about it. You're not alone. 
Romans 8 tonight tells us you are not alone. And so if you're joining, just joining us tonight in, in, in the Set Free series, let me just quickly get us up to speed. Five weeks ago we started and we talked about that in Christ the Spirit of God has set you free from behavior-based acceptability. That we are saved by grace, not behavior. Then, and then week two we have talked that we, we've been set free from the power of sin and that we have a new weapon called the Holy Spirit who empowers you to live the Christian life, to transform you and to overcome sin. And then week three, we talked about the fact that we've been set free from being slaves to sin and we've been adopted into God's family through Christ. And then two weeks ago, we talked about the fact that you have been set free from your hope being tied to this broken and fallen world because what we see is no hope. You hope in what you do not see. And so the reason that our world is, is characterized and, and described by the most depressed, lonely generation is because our world has told us that your hope is what you can see. The power, the money, the pleasure, the prestige, the privilege, whatever. That that's your hope. If you just get a big enough house and a big enough salary and the right company and the right city, that you will all be, everything will be fine. But two weeks ago we talked about the fact that the reason we're so depressed is because we see our hope in front of us. And we see that hope failing over and over and over. And we're faced with this realization that the hope that the world offers is no hope at all. But the hope that Christ offers is just a little taste, we've tasted it here. But there will be a day where Jesus comes back and he makes all things new. And there will be a glory revealed that is so indescribable to the, 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 the suffering or the pain of today that we will forget quickly. So we find ourselves in Romans 8, 26 through 30 tonight. If you wanna grab your Bibles, we're gonna read through this little section right now. So Romans chapter eight, verse 26 through 30. I'm reading from the ESV version if you wanna follow along. Here we go. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Verse 28, and we know that those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So let's go back to verse 26 and 27 because we see some awesome stuff start to happen here. In verse 26, likewise, that word likewise, he's connecting it back to the previous verses. So what we talked about two weeks ago is that our hope as believers in Christ is not in this world. It is in the glory to be revealed in the, the return of Christ. That there will be a glory so wonderful that it will, it will make all of our current, present suffering a thing of the past. We won't even remember it. It'll be so glorious. And then he says, likewise, since our hope is in our future glory, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. So you see, he's, he's connecting our hope of future glory and our hope in that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Now we see two things here in verse 26. Number one, that we have a weakness. And it's connected to prayer. We find ourselves wanting to pray, but we do not find the words. We struggle in the prayer of what, the how, the why. Maybe you're facing a deep pain. Maybe you're struggling through a personal loss. 
Maybe your heart has become cold towards God because of past experience. That maybe you've experienced things that makes you doubt if God is good. And so it stifled your prayers. Maybe you're wrestling with a life-changing decision or simply coming to grips with your own failures and flaws. There's a million reasons why prayer is hard because it says he helps us in our weakness because we do not know how to pray as we ought. There's a million reasons, but I love the fact that Paul is admitting, hey, this is hard. This is a weakness for us, but what a wonderful promise that the Holy Spirit helps us in this. You see, when our words fail, the Spirit's words do not. He prays on your behalf. Think about that for a second. That the Holy Spirit that indwells you at the moment of salvation, the minute you put your faith and trust in Christ, is not just there waiting for you to do something. He is actively interceding on your behalf with the Father. He's praying for you. You always have someone praying for you. You are not alone. In Luke 18, Jesus tells a parable, but he starts the parable saying, he says, I tell you this parable so that you will always pray and never give up. And so this verse is not an easy out. It's not a, it's not a get out of jail free card. Like, well, I guess I don't need to pray. The Spirit's praying for me. No, no, no. Jesus tells us, I'm going to tell you this parable so that you will never stop praying and you will not give up. Again, even Jesus' words feel like they're saying, it's hard. Prayer's, prayer is hard. How do we do it? When do we do it? What do I say? Like, I love my oldest son. Like, he, he, he's in this impression, like, he needs to have these super eloquent prayers as an 11-year-old. It's hilarious. Like, he always starts with, oh, dear Heavenly Father. I'm like, okay, dude. Like, no, you don't need to do that. You can. You don't need to. But I digress. But here's the deal. Jesus commands us to pray. He teaches us to pray. But this truth right here in Romans chapter eight sets us free from having the perfect words to pray. You don't have, to, there, there's, no, there's no perfect formula. There's nothing. That's why I love Jesus' invitation. I believe it's in Matthew 11 where he says, just come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. There's an invitation. It's not just you need to pray. You need to pray more, pray without ceasing. It's say, hey, come to me. God's not afraid of your pain. He's not afraid of your questions. He's not afraid of your, 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 uh, your disappointments. He's not afraid. I've been there. In the last two and a half years, I have been there. I have spent time after my family is asleep in the backyard, screaming at the sky, praying to God with frustration. And so I love that God knows that this is an area of weakness for us. And he says, whoa, chill out, Andy. The Spirit is here to help you, and he's interceding on your behalf. And then in verse 27, we see the second promise, and it's the, it gets specific about what the Spirit is praying. It says, the Spirit is praying God's will for you. He's not praying what you want. He's not praying what you desire. He's praying the greatest prayer for you, and that is God's good and perfect will for you. And this is a hard realization because at some point this text tells us or maybe should at least bring forth a question of like, have I ever thought that my will and my desires are not automatically God's will for my life? That's a hard thought because I like to believe that I know what's best for me. 
I like to believe that I know what's best for me, what I need and when I need it and how it's gonna happen. Like I remember when I first moved to Oklahoma City in 2001, my, the company I was working for moved me. It was not my choice. It was one of those like, we'll give you a choice. You could either move or go find another job. <laughs> not much of a choice when you're 23 years old. So I was like, okay, I'll go. And I remember being so angry with this move. I did not want to come here. Because this Iowa boy, Oklahoma is like the deep south. And I thought like horses and, you know, like what's happening in Oklahoma. I don't know. But that was the first moment where I thought I was confronted with the idea that maybe my will and God's will are not automatically the same thing. And so in verse 27, we get this assurance that the Spirit is praying God's will for you. We see this in Jesus' teaching as well. We see Jesus teaching us how to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, which is one of the craziest stories. It's right before he's about to be crucified, and you see this really strange prayer from Jesus. He said, Father, if there is any other way, if there's any other way, please take this cup of suffering away from me. He had a difficult situation, and his mindset was, if there's any other way, I don't want to do this. There is suffering ahead. It is going to hurt. It is going to be painful. If there's any other way, Dad, but then he tags onto it, but your will be done. Because God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will, whether you want to believe it or not, is the best thing for you, and it is the best thing for me, is to be in God's will. And that's what the Spirit is praying for you. So you are not praying alone, and he is praying for you the greatest prayer you could ever pray. God, let your will be done in his life. So I, I kind of think about it like the Holy Spirit is maybe like a little translator. Right? We're praying. The Holy Spirit that searches hearts gets to the prayer. He's like, okay, we're gonna refigure this and I'm gonna deliver it to the Father and I'm gonna pray. Actually, what he really means and what he really needs is here. This is what he needs. God, do it. And so he translates our prayers when, when there's no more words. You see, we're set free from anxiety because we're not alone in our prayers. The Holy Spirit is praying with you and for God's will, your greatest good for you. The second point tonight is that God is working all things for your good. We are set free from anxiety because God is working all things for your good. Verse 28, and we know that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. You see, our world would tell you that if it doesn't feel good, it's not good. And that if it is bad, it is not good. It cannot, there's nothing good that can come from something that feels bad. Well, I tell you what, the gospel of Jesus Christ turns that on its head. But this truth right here, that God is working all things for your good, this removes fear and anxiety when life goes wrong. When you're watching life go by, vroom, 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 and things aren't happening the way you want them as quickly as you want them, our world would say, something's wrong and it's bad, go fix it. But this text says, no, no, God is working even in that. When things aren't going the way you want, when things aren't happening at the pace that you hope, God is working. 
God is working. So how dare us try and take the wheel from him? He's working. What a wonderful promise. Because anxiety comes when we believe that things are not going to work out. And I'm not saying here in any way that we need to celebrate and look for difficulties. Yay, suffering, bring it on, Jesus. You know, whatever. Like, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying, like, let's brainwash ourselves to, like, all suffering is good and enjoyable. It's not, okay? Here, here's why I, I put this on the screen, so I want you to get this. Difficulties are not enjoyable or welcomed. They are not good, but their results can be good because God is working. We can go through pain. We can go through hard seasons. We can go through suffering. We can go through tragedy and not lose hope because we're not alone. God is working. You see, and we see this theme all throughout scripture that God is working all things out. Like if you go back to the story of Joseph, this poor kid gets sold into slavery by all of his brothers. And then he finds himself later in prison for a crime he did not commit, forgotten for years in prison. Innocent man. And eventually, after about 13 to 15 years, they believe, he goes from slavery to prison to the vice president of Egypt. And the famous line from the story of Joseph is, Joseph tells his brothers who sold him into slavery, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. God was working. The, my other favorite line in that story is every time something terrible happens to Joseph, it's quickly followed by, but God was with Joseph, you're not alone. You're not alone. You are not alone. God is working. We see Jesus, the cross of Christ, is maybe the greatest evidence of Romans 8, 28, that he's working all things for the good. The cross of Christ is the greatest evil. The death and crucifixion and torture of the Son of God, the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Rescuer. And we killed him in a gruesome, terrible way. But what Satan intended for evil, God intended for good. Your good, my good. The greatest good came from what arguably could be said is the greatest evil in all of human history. The very moment that Satan thought he had won because the Son of God was hanging dead on a cross was your and I's greatest good. God is working all things out for those who love him. He's working. He's working in the valleys and he's working on the mountaintops and he's working on that long plateau in the middle where nothing's happening. He's working. If we knew what God knew, knows, we would ask exactly for what he gives, says Tim Keller. If we knew what God knows, if we could see the whole picture that God sees, we would ask exactly for what he gives. Because if you're anything like me, a lot of times I'm walled into believing that God is withholding. Well, he could, but he doesn't, so he's not good. He could, but he chooses not to, so therefore I can't trust him. In the last several years, some of you, I've shared this before, my dad passed away of pancreatic cancer, and I know this struggle of praying for something and not getting it. Praying for God, God, I know you are able. I pray that you be willing. And he said, no, 
I'm not willing because I'm gonna work through this for some awesome stories that I could tell you later. But in the moment, I didn't, I didn't see it. I didn't wanna see it. But God is working. God is working. And, and there's a little bit of a caveat in this verse because this is not a universal promise. Who is the promise for? He is working all things out for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. This is a specific promise to the follower of Jesus and not the non-believer. You may be like, well, Andy, that's kind of harsh. Does God not care about them? Yes, he absolutely does. Let me paint you this picture. When good things happen to a Christian, our response is one of two things. It is either humble gratitude of God, thank you, right? Or, oh, I'm okay. I don't really need God. Like, we can go either way. But for the non-believer, when good things happen, the only option is, oh, I'm fine, I don't need God. And so for the non-believer, good things actually repel them from the Lord because they are convinced in this cell, I can do it. I don't need anybody. I don't need a savior. I'm good. Look what's happened. My job's going great. I got a raise. I you know, met this person. Like Everything's good. So even good things for the non-believer can actually be bad. As for the Christian as well. When good things happen, they can't actually be bad for us. Paul says uh, in, first, in 2 Corinthians 12, 7, he says, to keep me from becoming arrogant because of the great revelations, good thing, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a painful thing. To keep Paul humble because of all the great things that he was seeing, God gave him a thorn in his flesh to keep him humble. So good things for Christians can either lead us to God or away from God. For the non-believer, it can only lead them away from God because it's all them. On the flip side, bad things for the believer can be wonderfully good things because when bad things happen, when we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, when we feel like something's gone wrong, for the Christian, yes, it humbles us, but into a humble dependence of God, help me. Help me, show me what's going on. It draws us into the, the Father. But for the non-believer, bad things repel them. They make them bitter and angry towards the Father. And so this promise is specific to the believer, that God is working all things out for the good of those who love him. Whether it's a good thing or a bad thing or an ugly thing or an uncomfortable thing or an, uh, in, in, uh, I don't know what the word is, whatever. God works everything out for your good. When you're, when you're following Jesus, when you are a Christian, good, bad, or ugly, he's working all things out for your good. Because loving God means setting your heart on God so that, that all you do, you determine to please him. Another great quote from Tim Keller, he says this, if you love God for who he, who he is in himself, you make a commitment and you endure difficulty. But if you are using God for what he gives you, you bail out when suffering comes. And so suffering actually solidifies our faith. We either move towards him and trust or we abandon him. God flips it all on, on our head. So we are set free from anxiety because you are not alone. God is working with you and for your good. In the valleys, in the plateaus, and on the mountaintops. He's working for your good. And lastly, in the last couple of verses here of Romans 8, 
verses 27, uh, we're gonna do 29 and 30. It says this, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Number three is Christ, we are set free from anxiety because Christ's likeness is God's good goal for you. Christ's likeness is God's good goal for you. So when it says he's working all things out for the good of those who love him, that good is transforming you into the likeness of Christ. That's the will of God. God is, did you ever think that God is accomplishing something in you? That he is working in you? God is conforming us to the image of his son. Everything is working together. That good in verse 28 could also be, could be character change to the likeness of Christ. He's making, whether it's through the valley or the mountaintop, whether it's through the most wonderful seasons or the most d- desperate, terrible seasons, where you do feel like everything's passing you by and you're missing out. That those are the seasons where he is making you more loving, noble, true, wise, more patient, more compassionate, more dependent on him, more good and more kind, just like Jesus. And so how do we look at these seasons of either joy, suffering, pain, or, or wonder? How are we looking at them? If you're like my son Hank in the back of the car, you're looking through the lens of anxiety. And we know that anxiety is not driving that suburban. His loving father is driving that suburban. And so he can trust that there is a master design, that God is working every situation and circumstance to shape you into the image of Christ. So now, because of that, because God has a goal for you in the middle of whatever you're dealing with, now our prayer can be, can be changed from a scared desperation to a secure dependence. Right, Knowing that the Spirit is praying for you, he's, he's praying God's will for you, and that no matter what's going on, God's working for your good. Right, Three great promises. The Spirit's praying for you on your behalf. He's praying God's good, pleasing, and perfect will for you. And not only is he praying for you, he is working in what's happening for your good. Because of that, we don't have to pray out of scared desperation. We can approach God with secure dependence, saying, God, I know you are good, and I know you are working this out, but I can't see it. Please show me. Give me patience to see. Give me new eyes to see. So we're set free from anxiety because the Spirit's interceding. God is working all things for the good of those who love him. You're not alone. Christ's likeness is God's goal, good goal for you. So what? So what do we do with this? I've got three things I wanna leave you with. And the first thing is this. Maybe for you tonight, for the first time, you realize that maybe your desires and your wants are not necessarily connected with what God's will is for your life. And so maybe for you tonight, you need to step into a moment of confession and repentance from situational idolatry. Meaning you have made an idol out of something. 
Your whole life is consumed by it. Your emotions are controlled by it. Your wallet is dedicated to it. Then maybe there's some situation that you have made an idol in your life and you need to confess that, repent from it. And repent, remember we talked about two weeks ago, just means simply turning from it and saying, no, I'm not going that way. I'm changing my direction. I'm gonna trust. I'm gonna actively pursue Christ and trust that he's working all things out for my good. And so maybe for you, it's just, you need to step into a moment of confession and repentance of idolatry, that there is something out there that you have made greater than God. That if I just had this, if this just happened for me, then I'd be happy. That's idolatry. Secondly, maybe it's just changing a prayer and simply starting to pray, God, help me see my situation and circumstances the way that you see them. Maybe it's just changing, help me, God, help me. The Spirit says he will help you in your weakness. And so maybe for you, it's just actually saying, okay, I need help. Spirit, help me. Help me see, help me see how you see this. Because I guarantee you, in the front seat driver's side of our suburban, I see things way different than Hank does way in back in the third row. It's different. And when that hand goes up, I am happy to relieve him of anxiety because I know where we're going. And, I will, and we've gotten there every time. And so those are the questions I tell him. Hank, have we ever not gotten where we're going? No, Dad. Hank, do you know that I love you and that I would not lie to you? Yes, Dad. Hank, do you know that I want what's best for you and I know you love Barnes & Noble, so do you think I would dangle Barnes & Noble and then not take you there? No, Dad. Then trust me, son. I've got this. And I gotta believe that these scriptures and these promises are God's whisper to you. I've got you. I know this is not the way that you thought we would go. I know this is the journey you didn't think you would be on. I know that we have not arrived as quickly as you had liked. But I'm working. Trust me. And so maybe for you, walking out of here tonight is just change your prayer. God, help me to see this situation the way you see it. And then lastly, instead of just praying for what you want and what you desire, take a page out of the prayer book of Jesus and say, this is what I would desire, but your will be done. Start praying for God's will to be done in your life. And then what you will automatically see is you will start seeing things differently because you're not so focused on that one thing that you've idolized in your life, and all of a sudden now you're like, what is God's will for me? Could it be something other than what I can think of? Could his plan for me be different, i.e. and better, than what your plan is? And all of scripture says, yes, it is. And so just start adding to your prayer, God, this is what I would desire. This is the desire of my heart but your will be done. Help me see my situation the way you see it. So maybe it's confession and repentance, maybe it's helping see your situation, or maybe it's praying God's will for your life. You see, when we're driving and my son starts to get that look on his face, and he respectfully makes a statement of his concern, 
I simply look in his eyes and say, buddy, we've never been lost. Trust me. And every time up to this point, his hand has gone down and you can see his shoulders go, okay, that's all I needed. Just needed to get it out there. Thank you, dad. Thank you, mom. We're good. Okay, back to my book. You know, but there's an engagement. He's, he's talking. Talk to God. Pray with him. Let him know where you are. He's not afraid of that. You don't need to have the perfect words. So as you sit in the backseat of life and you're looking around, observing the road you're currently on, before you let anxiety take over, raise your hand. Go to God. Hit your knees. Ask God to help you trust him in this season, in this situation. Ask the Spirit to help you to and empower you to worship and trust God in the midst of your situation instead of worshiping a different situation. You see, Romans 8, 26 through 30 sets us free from the anxiety and pressure to manipulate every situation for your good. It allows us to rest in the wonderful promise of God's goodness that he is with you and he is accomplishing something in you. You see, God is at the wheel. He has provided for eternity. He's provided for you for eternity. So you can trust him with your every day, your yesterday and tomorrow. Because he's taking care of your eternity. He will take care of you tomorrow. Guys, we're gonna go into more worship in our 120 seconds here in a second. And so I'm gonna ask them to keep the so what uh, slide on the screen. You, you, you can see it up here. And let's just take 120 seconds and let this sit. Maybe you need to pray one of these things. Maybe you need to be prayed for. Guys, we say this every week. Our prayer team is gonna be in the back. They would love the honor of praying for you. The Holy Spirit is praying with you, but you know what? Sometimes having an arm on your shoulder is what we need. And after the gathering, they're gonna be up front. We got tons of opportunity to pray. So, but we're gonna go 120 seconds just to sit with these questions and let God encourage you and remind you that you are not alone and that you can live without anxiety because God has got you. He's got this. Let me pray. God, I wanna thank you for this day and thank you for just bringing each one of us here. God, I know for a fact there are things happening in this room right now that are ripping hearts to shreds. That there is so much fear that grips us because things are not going the way we thought they'd go. We're not driving down the road we thought we'd drive down. It's not happening the way we thought it would happen. But God, we just humbly come before you asking these truths that you are working all things out for our good would sink deep into our souls. And God, that we would, as we sang earlier, in the midst of the battles, God, our, our, our fight would be to praise you. That as our hearts wander from you, as the idols of this world tempt us and attract us, God, as we wander from you, God, that you would bring us back quickly as your kids, saying, I've got you. You don't need to leave. Follow me. Watch for me and learn from me and you will find rest for your souls. God, let us take you up on that promise. In your son's name, amen.